I'm going to do this each week. I'm just going to kind of summarize because we're going to be in chapters one through three this morning. So I want to just say that chapter one just shows my personal need of grace. I'll get into that in just a little bit because I know you want me to tell the story personally because you want to see my own personal humiliation. So I will. Chapter two is grace defined, what grace is. Notice in chapter two, if you've read the book, I didn't talk about what grace isn't. Everyone wants to tell you what grace isn't, but I want to tell you what grace is, okay? I want to show you what grace is and just whet your appetite. Like, yes, I want this every day and all the time. Chapter three tells you where where the battlefield is. The battlefield is the distance from our hearts to the throne room of grace. This is where the enemy is going to bring the greatest opposition, the greatest um, condemnation, the greatest um, forces. You know, I don't have this in the book, but when I think of chapter three, I think of that great classic, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. You're supposed to laugh at that because it is a classic, but nevertheless. You know, it's so funny. I have my grandson over last week, Hudson. Hudson is um, eight, and he's like the king of the one-liners. He doesn't even realize he is, but he's at, he's at my um, bookshelf. He's like, okay, Grandma, what, what do you have that's good? And I'm like, well, you know, I've got the true story of the um, big bad wolf and the three little pigs. He goes, oh, the three little pigs, a classic. But in Dorothy the Wizard of Oz, and let me tell you something, I was never allowed to miss a Sunday night church growing up. And it was hard for me. I have to tell you, my heart was really torn because that was the night that the wonderful world of Disney was on. And I never got to see it, not one episode. And I wanted to. It was also when they showed Ten Commandments. And I used to say to my dad, don't you think it's spiritual if I stay home from church to watch the Ten Commandments? That's Hollywood versus the truth. Which one do you want? I'm like, eh. Hollywood, but that's okay. And then also it was usually um, the night sometimes that Dorothy the Wizard of Oz was on, but then they started showing it on Saturday nights, and I just praised the Lord. And it would come, when I was a kid, it would come once a year. Remember? You could watch Dorothy the Wizard of Oz once a year, and it was on a Saturday night. And I was, I was glued. And there was that part where Dorothy is almost to Oz. Remember that? And she's with the Tin Man, and she's with the Lion, and she's with the Scarecrow, and she's almost there. And the Wicked Witch of the West sees that she's getting close to Oz. And if she gets close to Oz, the Wicked Witch of the West might never get those ruby red slippers. But she's so close, so what does she do? She sends out those flying monkeys. And they sow sleeping powder in the field. So as they're going, they're like, oh, Oz looks good, but it's just so far away. And I think that I'll just rest before I get there. And the minute they fall asleep, what happens? They come and they grasp Dorothy and the scarecrow, and they're throwing out straw. And they take them into the witch's den and lock them And I think that's what the devil has done with a lot of you. He has put you to sleep on your way to the throne of grace. You were almost there. But you got tired, and it just seemed better to nap 
and just to go with it, and you've been picked off. Ah, ah! They've gotten you, and they're throwing out the straw, and they're letting you rust. Or maybe you're like Dorothy. They're trying to take your shoes off. But you know what? The throne room of grace is still there, and it's still open to you. And God wants to release you from those dungeons and get you to the throne room of grace where there is abundant grace for anyone and everyone. Now, my own story. I grew up and I thought I knew grace. I really did. I mean, also I was born with, you know, Chuck Smith, the king of grace, right? You know, he let the hippies in. What better show of grace is there and guitars? Whoa. And I don't know how many of you know this, but my dad was kicked out of the evangelical community for allowing guitars on the platform of Calvary Chapel. And he was, he was called a false prophet. They said that Maranatha Music was um, a demonic organization started by the Illuminati who paid my dad off to start it. Um, I'll tell you one story that I can't put in the book. In fact, I could tell you, this is why we're not live streaming girls. I'm going to get real. <laughs> there was this man who wrote these tracks that were like cartoons. And he wrote a track uh, against my father, where my dad's giving money for the, to the Illuminati. And there's this man um, who claimed, I won't give you his name, but he claimed to have worked with my dad and, have, and had, he claimed to deliver the check from the Illuminati to my dad to bring guitars into the church. This was his claim. And he would go around, and he was welcome in every church in Orange County to come give his testimony. So he would get up and say all these things about the hippies and the people coming to Calvary and what was going on in Calvary. Well, my mom found out he was going to be in the area. My mother. She's a, she was a force to be reckoned with. And so she said, Chuck, I can't make Sunday night. And I'm like, What? You don't have to go on a Sunday night. (laughs) No offense. Um, But it wasn't a wonderful world of Disney that she was missing church for. She was on a mission. And my brother Chuck said, Mom, I'm going with you. And he grabbed my cousin. And he said, we got to protect my mom. There's there's a part of her that you don't know about that I do. (laughs) Only behind closed doors has anyone seen this part. So they go in, and they're kind of sitting incognito. And they call this man out, and he begins to give his testimony. When he gets to the part, and it's packed, audience, packed at a local church, my mom stands up and says, that's not true. And I know because I'm married to Chuck Smith. And you are a liar, liar, liar. And the guy giving the testimony turns white as a sheet jumps up and runs out the back door. And my brother, for some crazy reason, and my cousin run her out, run around the back, and they're going to confront him, and he pulls a gun on them. And so anyway, they kind of back off like, hey, we just wanted to meet you. (laughs) And he jumps in his car, and he drives away. There's this distance There's this disqualification from the world that they're always trying to disqualify you. My father knew grace because he had to identify and find himself in the Lord and in that throne room because of all the voices speaking to him that he was disqualified. We have to go to the throne room of grace. 
So theoretically, I knew it because I was raised in the hippie days, theoretically. Um, I remember the tent. Everyone, you've all heard of the tent. The tent. Well, for me, going to public junior high with the Anglican's daughter, the Lutheran pastor's daughter, the Baptist children, the Catholics, you know, because when you're a Christian and you're in public school, you just look for anybody who's moral. I had Mormon friends and Jehovah Witnesses, too. You just look for somebody who's not going to, you know, smoke pot. <laughs> you're my friend. Um, so in public school, I, I had these friends, but they'd say, what's your dad doing with a tent? Like, are people, is it like a, is it like a circus that goes on? You know, what is going on? And I was like, no. No, just come and see, you know. Is it true there's rock and roll concerts and people smoke pot? Well, there's some smoking pot, but they're in the very back. And they're not supposed to. You know, it was just, it was, it was just a wild time. Just a wild time. But my dad was known for his grace because he said, you know, Cheryl, it's not my job to clean them up. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. My job is just get them to Jesus and he'll do the rest. And that's what we used to believe. That's what we used to stand on, is that incredible grace. Because, you see, grace is more, more than just acceptance. Grace is the power of God working in us to obey. In fact, we're told in Titus that it's the grace of God that teaches us to live godly in these last days. It's the grace of God. Grace is a, it's a power, but it's so much more. So now back to, theoretically, I knew it. Theoretically, I knew it here. I knew it here. I saw it. I saw it. And I thought I knew it. And I was asked to do two Bible studies on grace. And I said, of course. I know grace, and I'm so good at it. I was raised with grace. And I need to teach everybody grace because I got it, you don't. So here I will, I'll, I'll give grace. And I really was like that, unfortunately. I was like stuck up in grace, which is impossible. <laughs> and, I, and I was going to do this, and I was really, really proud of myself. And let me tell you that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So I had no grace. And so I'm preparing messages on grace to give. And I got them typed out, which was really amazing because I had a four-year-old, I had a six-year-old, and I had a 12-year-old, and I had a 14-year-old. Grace, Grace. And my house was totally clean. Grace. (laughs) Dishwasher empty. Grace. All my clothes were done. They were folded neatly in baskets, and I was about to put them away. And not only that, I was going to do the grace studies, and then go to church Sunday and leave Sunday night with all my children to England because we were praying about planting a church in London. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And then, and then, and then. Well, Brian had been struggling with our teenage daughter. She had a little rebellious streak, but I, I, I would hear her crying and go sit on her bed and just say, honey, what is it? Because I was the queen of grace. But that daughter who I had been so kind to and invested so much to, who I said, don't 
go and try to get anything done to your hair because you've already damaged it so much. Did not listen to me. And came home. Came home with her father. Her father brought her home. Her father took her. Her father brought her home from the hairstylist. And mothers know when you have daughters, you take so much pride in your daughters because they're better looking than you. (laughs) They're better in every area than you. And you're even giving them more better. Like, oh, you could do this better. I'm going to buy you better clothes than my mother let me have. Mine all came from white, white front. I'm going to get you better clothes. I'm going, to, you know, I'm, going to, I'm going to make sure you eat better food. Everything better, better, better. Because you love these girls so much. And you want your daughter, no offense, but we all know it, to be the most beautiful one in the whole wide world because she is to you. And we invest in their beauty, don't we? We do. And there she comes home with her hair a half inch long, shaved, shaved, those beautiful blonde tresses, shaved. And where she had had the little blonde streaks, there were circles, like polka dots on her head, where it had been. When I saw her, I screamed. One long, sharp shrill. I won't do it now because it was deafening. It was not pleasant. And I said to her so many mean, terrible things, things I had never said to her before. I'm sorry, but even thinking about this, I'm like, shame on you, shame on you. It was so bad, the way I yelled and screamed at that little girl, just telling her how dare you, you rebellious, you know, son of a rebellious man. You know, not my fault, his. You know, shame on you. What are you thinking? You know, you look ugly, 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 you know, just mean stuff I never even knew was in me or capable of. Brian's looking at me like, who are you? What planet did you come from? Leave and bring Cheryl back. I mean, or like maybe I need to do an exorcism right now. It was bad. And my other kids, Char and Kelsey and Brayden, they're just staring at me in shock. Like, I mean, honestly, this was not my normal demeanor. I was even scared of what was coming out of me. And I looked at all of them, and I was so shocked, and I was so ashamed, I ran to my room. And I threw myself down, and I said, God, I don't know what's wrong with me. Something is going on. I need help. I need help. Please change me right now. Stop me. Stop me, God. Just stop. You have the power to stop me. Nobody else does, but you've got that power. Please exercise it. And Brian came in the room. I don't remember what he said. But I tried to tackle him and beat him up. (laughs) And I realized, I'm out of control. I go back, I get on my knees, oh, help me, help me. In the book, I only tell like twice, but it was like five or six times. I'm back on my knees, oh, God, help me. And then the polka dot head came in. (laughs) And she said something like, you call yourself a mother? And that was bad. Those were fighting words. And I chased her out of the room and down the stairs. Now I'm downstairs again. And Brian's like, I have no idea who you are, but you're going to be teaching on grace tomorrow? And I said, you think so? And I went and I grabbed my grace messages, and they were typed. And I'm going, this is grace! (laughs) And I begin, I mean, I was literally out of my mind. I'm throwing them on everybody like confetti, you know, like rice at a wedding. Here, have grace, have grace, have grace, you know? And my voice is just like that, and they're all just like... You know? And then Brian's like, Cheryl, we're supposed to leave for England. I'm like, you think so? I took all our suitcases, and I opened them and threw them 
over the banister of my house, like, watch out for falling suitcases. And I packed them neatly with everything we needed for the trip. Everything. I threw, I hurled them over the stairs. And then I took those neat laundry baskets, a folded clothes, and I slammed them against the wall and took them one by one. And now they're really going, okay, this might be a nervous breakdown. Brian's like, not quite sure what's happening, kids. But I think your mom needs prayer. Maybe if we all go to our rooms and just start praying, you know, and if you have prayer language, go ahead, use that. We need something extraordinary right now. And I went back into the room. And I thought, okay, I need calming. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't even like this. And I'm, I'm thinking, I am totally disqualified. I can't even believe I call myself a pastor's wife. I can't go to England. I can't minister. I can't talk to women. I am, I'm, I've blown it beyond beyond remedy, beyond restoration. But, you know, I love baths, so I thought, if I take a bath, that will calm me down. I took a big bubble bath. I'm sitting in there. Brian came in to say something, and I threw the washcloth and started splashing with water. I kid you not. I was so out of control. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to help myself. I get out of the bath. I dress, and I'm crying. I'm like, God, 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 please help me. And I'm on my knees, and I heard the voice of the Lord say, Cheryl, this is you without my grace. This is what you are. This is bare bones Cheryl Lynn Smith Broderson. This is who you are without my grace. And without me, you can do nothing. This is you. And I want you to tell those women why you need grace. Why you need grace. Because This is you without grace. And I was like, oh, Lord, I want grace. I want grace not just now but forever and ever and ever and never, ever, ever take your grace from me. Please, Lord, cover me with your grace. And if you will cover me with your grace, if you will just keep showering me with grace and give me an abundance of grace, if anyone says I'm nice, if anyone says it's a good study, if anyone says my hair looks good because it does today, Praise God. I will say it is grace. It is grace. It is grace. If my children turn out walking with you, I will say it's grace. It's grace. It's grace. If my husband loves me and forgives me, I will say it's grace. It's grace. It's grace. If somebody is moved by a word from you through me, I will say it's grace. It's grace. It's grace. It is all by grace. Lord, I will never, ever again give a finger-pointing message if you'll just deliver Cheryl out of me, if you'll just take that woman away and bring me grace instead. I promise you, Lord, I make this vow to you. And he gave me grace. I was suddenly in my right mind again. And I went out. Everyone was kind of scared. And I said, I'm totally safe now. I am so safe now. God has poured out his grace. And I know what my message is. Everyone's like, oh, so you're still going to teach? Yes. (laughs) But by experience of grace. I had two new handwritten messages that were scribbles. I went with scribbles the next day. Because grace, and this is what I have today, just scribbles. Because grace is, is something from my heart. 
is something that God has divinely done for me and in me. Grace. When I uh, wanted to write a book on grace, I, I was talking to my publisher, and he took us out to dinner, Brian and I, and he says, you know, Cheryl, what... Um, I want another book from you. He's got this idea. He wants me to write this book called Frankly Speaking to Women. And I'm like, what's it about? He goes, I don't know. That's your problem. <laughs> but as I was, um, he said, anything on your heart? And I said, a woman's battle for grace. He said, done. Let's do it. I'm like, oh, I don't even know what made me say that. It was grace. Grace just came out all of a sudden. Darn. And um, I remember one of my editors said to me, Cheryl, remember that in a book, you cannot say everything that needs to be said. It, it's going to be, you, you can only say some of it. Because actually, they took out 20,000 words from this book. I, I, ha, I have to give them at least 70,000 words. <laughs> I'm not an overachiever, but grace is. Grace goes way beyond. I had so much to say about grace. Now, you can either walk out of this room saying, oh, yeah, Cheryl needs grace. <laughs> Whoa, I had no idea that it was in her. <laughs> yeah, I hope you don't have one of those experiences. I don't know how many of you have or you've done something that you think has disqualified you from grace because there's a myriad of voices always yelling at us, saying, uh-uh, mm-mm, not you. You've done this, always trying to disqualify us, always trying to intimidate us. There are the voices that say, you don't measure up. You just don't measure up. No, they're here. So I just told you that the pastor's wife of Calvary, Chapel Costa Mesa, is here. But grace has brought me here. Right? There's a voice saying, you don't measure up. There's other voices that say, you're not young enough. Other voices saying, you're not thin enough. Other voices saying, you're not pretty enough. Other voices saying, you're not strong enough. Others saying, you're not talented enough. Other voices saying, you need to do more, try harder, put in more effort, more time, more carefulness, more conscientiousness. All these voices constantly shouting at us. Are you ever intimidated by other women? Ever intimidated? What is it like to stand next to a CrossFit specialist? <laughs> and you know, what do we do? I, I thought about that. You know, I've got these one-pound weights <laughs> that I do like once a month, you know? You know that intimidating? Or you, you, you stand next to a makeup artist and you're just like going... So how are you doing today? <laughs> or you, you stand next to um, a hairstylist, and you're just like, or my daughter's a hairstylist, so she's always going. She comes up, and she's always fixing me. You know, it's, it's intimidating, isn't it? Or somebody who's a dietitian, a nutritionist. Like, the one thing you don't want to do is go out to lunch with a nutritionist. <laughs> because then you can't get anything that you really want to eat. You're like, oh, I'm sorry, um, this might look like ice cream, but it's not. It's just pure vegan whey protein frozen with ice, like alkaline watered ice. It's just, it's going to do everything right for my body in just a second. 
I was in I was in New York recently, and I was getting a cup of coffee, and you know, New York, New York, New York. It's it's kind of well, you know how we're all feeling guilted over plastic straws. It's that magnified. And so I'm saying to him, oh, I'm not quite sure how to do this. Oh, he said, do you want a lid? I said, is the lid plastic? He said, yes. I said, are you okay with that? And he said, I'm okay. Are you okay with that? I said, I don't know. I go guilt really easily. I mean, I can go guilt so fast. From zero to guilt in like five seconds. And he says, oh, it's probably the church you grew up at. And I was like, okay, I grew up at church. But my church did not guilt me. I wanted to tell him, we had hippies, we had a tent. Um, <laughs> my dad got kicked out. But I said, no, no, it wasn't my church. I had a really, really good church. My church never guilted me. I said, do you know who guilts me? Greenpeace people outside of Sprouts. <laughs> I mean, I'll go out whatever door I have to to get away from the Greenpeace. Don't you care about the whales? You know? Or the peta people? Oh gosh, where's your dog now? I left him alone in the backyard. <laughs> I'm a terrible owner. <laughs> or he's actually hiding on the back seat of the car with all the windows down, doors unlocked, so nobody breaks it to let him out. You know, I'm. These people guilt me. Or, or the people, you know, anybody outside of Target with whatever thing they want. You design. It's like, oh, you know, do you have a back door to Target I can get out of? You know, this guilts me. This is where I feel my guilt, or like when you say to somebody, do you have any straws? (laughs) Or you go to one of those markets, and you know which ones I'm talking about, those markets. You want a bag? I have like 30 permanent bags, but I left them inside my house, strewn all over the place. I don't even know. And I should have bags. I know better than this. I love nature. I, I'm so sorry I forgot my bags. It's all right. Paper or plastic? Paper, please? Because I think that's what you want me to say. Fine. But it will cost you 25 cents to kill a tree. (laughs) That's where I feel my guilt. I mean, and there's guilt everywhere. Oh, man, the guy who plays the accordion outside of Target. You know, please help me. I don't have enough to pay my rent and I have children. (laughs) I mean, how can you walk past him and he's doing such a great job? It's like, okay, I got to find something. He's playing the accordion. At least he's trying to do something, you know? And I'm in a parking lot, and this spooky guy in a bicycle. Hey, lady, you got any money? You're like... (laughs) And I don't want to say, I do, but I don't want to give it to you. Because you might take all of it (laughs) if I open my purse. So what you say is... I just bought all these groceries with plastic. So sorry, but I've been using plastic lately. (laughs) Guilt. Guilt. All these voices of guilt. All these voices that say you don't measure up. That's where we're getting it. Not from Jesus. 
who's saying, come, come, I'll take care of everything. We're getting it from our culture. We're getting it from the atmosphere, from the devil himself. He doesn't want us at the throne room of grace. So last year, December, I was told I needed a new license. I needed a license that was an ID license. And I needed to go to the DMV. And I needed to have at least three forms of ID, passport, driver's license, birth certificate, and a bill that proved that I lived at my residence. So there's four. So being an overachiever, I had six. (laughs) I get there, I make an appointment. I try so hard to be good, and even when I'm trying so hard, I can't do it. I get there, and you stand in the first line because you've got an appointment. And you know the DMV, they employ people that can shame you. They are there just to shame you, you know, like, hmm, hmm. So I'm there, and she says, where's your social security card? I said, social security card? I didn't see that. Oh, you didn't see that. I said, where is it? Well, it's on the form. Where's your form? I didn't know I had to bring my form. You didn't bring your form or your social security card? They said, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't seen my social security card since I changed my name to my married name. I think I washed it, and I think it disintegrated. But I know it because she goes, do you have an income tax return? Yes. Go get it. Okay. I will. I promise. I'll get that. Anything else? Yeah. Get every form of ID you can. So I came back with seven forms of ID. Birth certificate, passport, everything. And then you have to stand. That was the first line. There's five more. Five more lines, right? So then they send you and you have to take a test, a theory test. And I always miss the alcohol. I don't get 100%. I always miss the alcohol. I don't know what drunk is. I've never been drunk in my life. The only time I ever had wine was communion. I don't know what drunk is. That's not to say that, shame on you, it's just me, miss Sunday night church. That's just me. But you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know the alcohol question, so I miss it. You know, and they're looking at you like, you've been drinking? You think you <laughs> should go over that limit? And you're like, mm-hmm. So anyway, I miss that. You know, you take it on the computer. have to take it. It has to be graded. Uh-huh. You miss this one. I know. I always miss that alcohol one. You know, the computer um, gives you this printout, but I passed. So then there's another line. So then you have to go sit, another thing. And then they call you and they send you to another lady. And she takes all your forms of ID, all seven of them. I gave her all seven forms of ID. I took an eye test and passed my eye test. Then I had to go get in another line uh, to get my picture taken. And then I had to go into another line to... Oh, I can't remember. What was this line? Oh, the other line is to, well, first you fill out information, then you do your theory test, and then you have to do one more thing, and I can't remember what it is right now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So anyway, I'm doing all this. So, you know, they said, okay, you can leave. I've, I've done it all. I get my temporary license. Yay, right? They poke a hole through my old one. Don't try to use this to get liquor at 59. So... Don't give this to a youth who looks old for their age. Don't you even try it. So I, I, go, I go home. Two weeks ago, you know what I got? I got a letter from the DMV in the mail saying that I did not show enough identification when I was at 
the DMV. I need more proof that I live at the house I've lived at for 17 years. More proof. That, those seven things that you brought, those weren't enough. So this is what we want you to do. We want you to mail this letter back from where you live. I can do that. Just had to sign, check a box, put it in the mail. I do, and I really am Cheryl Broderson at 2707 Ashwood. I am. That is me. Me is that. You know, this is who I am. But I'm thinking, here, you have the DMV. You don't measure up. It doesn't matter that I brought seven pieces of identification. doesn't matter that I took two tests. doesn't matter that I let them take an ugly picture of me. It doesn't matter. Because nothing measures up. And all I want to do is prove that I am who I am and that I'm not going to bomb a plane. That's all I want to prove. And yet, you know, the world is always going to tell us that we don't deserve the throne room of grace. Remember, it's the distance between our heart and this throne room of grace. This throne room of grace is always open to us. It's God's divine supply to us. He knows that we can't make it without grace. See, Jesus didn't come with truth alone. The Ephesians tried to stand in truth alone in the book of Revelation chapter 2. They thought that standing in truth, Jesus said, you're very good at knowing who's a false apostle. You're very discerning, but I have this against you. You've left your first love to the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3. He said, you know my problem with you? You're, you think that you have need of nothing. You think you're totally self-sufficient. To the church of Philadelphia, he says, I like you guys. You have a little strength, but you have not denied my name. It's all about grace. Truth strips us bare. Oh, truth can be so Hard, hard to deal with truth. Truth is when you FaceTime your grandchildren and you see your own little reflection coming back at you and you pray they're not afraid. (laughs) Truth is when you try to put your lipstick on using the mirror in the car and all the light is coming in from everywhere. Truth, truth just comes at you. And truth can be so intense. But grace comes in and it clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It styles us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It fully approves us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's it's better than wrestling and fillers because it fills everything in and plumps our skin in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It renews our youth like, like a young child by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is what grace does. Grace, by its very nature, is a gift from God to us. You only find in Christianity the concept of grace. It's not found in any other religion, and you certainly won't find it out in the media. You won't find this idea of grace. You know, I have found that the media loves to build somebody up and then tear them down. You know, it used to be that Meghan Markle was just essentially awesome, and now they're beginning just to criticize and critique her. Poor thing. 
Kate Middleton, building her up, and then, oh, Kate and, you know, making her mad at each other. We can see it in their eyes. <laughs> Will you leave those two girls alone? But grace, you won't find it out there. But Jesus came not only to bring us truth, but to bring it in grace so we could all receive it. So we could all come to the truth through grace. Grace is our way to truth. And grace holds us in the truth. Grace is God's gift. It's an absolute necessity. We can't live without grace. We can't do it because we do not have the strength or the ability or the kindness or the love or the power or the influence or all those things that we need without grace. Grace not only imparts to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So God looks at us and he goes, oh, look, she's dressed in Jesus. I love it. He accepts us because we're dressed in Jesus. So grace brings us in, but grace also gives us the power, the power to obey, the power to do it right, the power to pack bags for England, the power to write messages that are of him, the, the power to influence hearts and minds. Grace also gives us the entitlements of Jesus. All that God desires to give Jesus, all those blessings, all those promises that Jesus alone is entitled to become ours by way of grace. We didn't earn one promise in the Bible. We didn't earn one delight or good thing that he gave us. It is all because of God's grace. Then grace is our stability. It's our surety. It's our footing in Jesus. It's where we stand because there will always be even, even well-intentioned people that will tell you that you don't measure up or that you need to do more. There are always people who are redefining what love means, even in Christian circles, redefining what grace is. So we need to get it from the Bible. What does Jesus say grace is? What does grace look like when it comes to Peter, the disciple of Jesus? What does grace look like? Grace looks like Peter saying, Lord, these others, I've seen it in them. I don't trust them either, Lord. But me, I would die for you. I will never deny you. Even if it means death, Lord, I'm going to stay so close to you. And then we see him in Luke chapter 22 as he boasts. And then they go to the garden and they come with the torches and all the religious elite and the temple armies to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do? He grabs the sword and he just starts swinging it wildly. And all he manages to do is to cause more confusion and lop off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. Jesus picks up that ear, restores and heals Malchus. He says to Peter, Peter, put away your sword, for those who pick up the sword will die by the sword. And then he turns to those who are arresting them and said, I was with you every day in the temple. You had your opportunity, but now this is your hour and the hour of darkness. I love that because darkness only has one hour. (laughs) And light has eternity. 
But nevertheless, there they are in the garden. And it says that Peter follows this company from afar. He flees and then he comes back. He goes into the high priest's courtyard and he's there with John and now he's about to enter. The maiden who takes care of the door and lets people in, she says, wait a second, I know you. You're a follower of Jesus. He says, no, I'm not. I just came to see this spectacle. I'm not. She's like, hmm, I think you are. He steps in. He's warming himself by the fire. And one of the, oh, another woman walks by and she goes, you were with Jesus? And he says, no, I wasn't. She said, yes, you were. You're, you've got a Galilean accent. You were totally with Jesus. You no, I wasn't. I've never even known him. I don't know Jesus. And then one of the soldiers who is related to that servant who got his ear lopped off, he says, you were with Jesus. And then we're told that Peter began to swear. I swear I never knew him. I swear I don't have anything to do with him. I swear I've never talked with him, never followed him. I have no association with him. And even as he says this, the rooster begins to crow. And somehow from the room where Jesus is being brutalized, he looks out and he locks eyes with Peter. And Peter sees the Lord looking at him and he begins to weep. He begins to weep. Here is Peter's moment. The moment of absolute disqualification. The moment he says, I don't deserve anything that the Lord has. Look what I've just done. Look what I've just done. But you see earlier, when Peter thought he was stronger than he was, when Peter didn't realize his need of grace, he had, Jesus had turned to him and said, Simon, Simon, which was his name before meeting Jesus, Satan has asked for you by name. Oh, isn't it terrible to know Satan knows your name? I can't think of anything worse. It's like Charles Manson knowing your address. Your phone number. Satan has asked for you by name that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your strength would not fail. That your faith would not fail, sorry. I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus not only knew that Peter would utterly fail, but he was saying, Peter, I'm still going to want you. And I'm going to use you after this great lapse, after the greatest failure of your life, I'm still going to use you. And I'm going to use you to strengthen your brethren. I'm going to use you to establish the brethren in grace. And in Peter's epistles, both first and second Peter, he talks about grace. And he says, but grow in the grace of God, which is found in Jesus. Peter knew grace firsthand because he knew his own failure There will be voices of condemnation, even from unexpected sources. Criticism. I think of John chapter 19, where Mary goes into the room, and all she wants to do is break this alabaster jar and pour it out on Jesus' feet. And as she does, Judas starts 
criticizing her. And we're told in John chapter 12 that all the disciples joined in. The disciples, Peter, John, James, Andrew. Andrew, who was so sweet and always bringing people to Jesus, she heard these familiar voices, voices that followed Jesus so closely, followed him for three years, criticizing her, disqualifying her, disqualifying her act, saying it was a waste, saying that she was um, insensitive to the poor and the need around her, saying that she was trying to get all the attention and it was not the right place. This was a men's meeting and there she is at Jesus' feet and, you know, they could all smell the perfume. It was intoxicating and they were all criticizing her. But you know what? Mary stayed to task. She didn't look up from those feet of Jesus and say, stop it. I'm doing this for Jesus. She didn't defend herself. She kept on task. She kept looking at the feet of Jesus. Nothing mattered at that moment to Mary but Jesus' feet. Jesus. It was all about Jesus. She made her life and her mission all about Jesus. He was her object and he was her objective. And then Jesus speaks and he says this. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. Jesus defends her. And then he says to the disciples, you know what? Wherever this gospel goes, this story of what Mary has done will be told to commemorate her. Andrew didn't get that. Peter didn't get that. Judas didn't get that. Andrew didn't get that. But wherever the gospel is, what a woman did, what this woman, Mary did, will be told as a memorial to her. As an example, this is how we worship. That it's not a waste to give everything to Jesus. You see, that's where the grace is. It's at the feet of Jesus. That's the throne room. That's the place where we want to get. That's where there's ample grace. There was grace for Mary at Jesus' feet to ignore and shut out all the voices There was grace for Mary at Jesus' feet to worship him. There was grace at Jesus' feet to understand because he says, she has done this for my burial. Something that you guys, that I keep telling you, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be condemned, I'm going to be crucified. You haven't gotten, she's gotten. She's gotten grace. It was there at the feet and she stayed on task. They're going to be voices, unexpected voices, that will say, disqualified, unworthy. You need to follow me first before you can go there. No. No. You have direct access through Jesus Christ. Not through Shell Broderson, not through Brian Broderson, not through Chuck Smith. Not through any other person but Jesus. That's your access. Through Jesus God said in the new covenant, they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. You've got direct access. You've got access to this throne room of grace. And in this throne room, you can get as much grace as you want. But here's the battlefield. The battlefield is on the way to grace. It's the unexpected voices. It's all the voices 
again, those ones, you need to do more, you're not measuring up, you need to keep the law, you need to go under the law, you need to smile more, you need to give to the homeless more, you need to give to PETA, you need to not use plastic straws. It's all those voices, all those voices that want to keep you from the throne room of grace. You know, sometimes we go to the Bible and we open it up and we don't expect anything because we think we don't deserve anything. And the Lord is saying, oh, I want to give you promises. I want to lavish my love on you. I want to tell you that you're favored. I want to lead your life. I want to deliver you from this or from that. I want to speak into you. I want to show you what I'm going to do with your life. I want to show you what I'm going to do with the future. I have so much for you. I want to dress you. I want to use you for glory and not condemnation. I want to bring you in. I want, I want others to love you. I want to do so much. And we're sitting there, but I don't deserve it. You don't know I had a bad thought. Real bad one. I had a bad dream. I said a mean word to my dog. Actually, I said it to Brian, but I said a mean word. I thought ill of the person in the black truck on the freeway who was tailgating and then pulled wildly in front of me and almost killed me. I wanted his car to be vaporized. Until I saw that the driver was an 80-year-old man. And I thought, my dad kind of drove like that, too. Grace by its very nature, it's not earned, it's not merited, it's given. And it's given to everyone who will call upon the name of Jesus Christ. But you see, we've called on the name of Jesus Christ, we've received the grace for salvation, but that's not enough. That's why the throne room of grace is open 24-7. So that any time, day or night, you can go running in there. You can throw the door open because you've got bold entrance through Jesus Christ. And it says that we may come boldly, just boom, doors opening. I'm here. I need grace. Anytime, boldly, coming in, getting all the grace we need, whatever grace we need for whatever problem, for whatever confronts us in the day, whether it's social grace, um, exercise grace, (laughs) strengthening grace, attitude grace, loving grace, hospitality grace, restaurant grace, uh, I don't know, just every grace we need, wisdom grace, we get it right there. I remember I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine, Nancy. Uh, Nancy lives in, in York, England. And she was talking about this. She said, the Bible says the Lord is our portion. It says that we can have all the grace that we want, all the grace we need. But she said, sometimes I feel like we enter into the throne room with a thimble in fear and trembling, going, if, if I could just, you please, uh, some gruel, please. Oliver, Oliver, Oliver. If we, we just enter in with this little thimble, like, I don't deserve any more than this, if you could just give me some grace. And he's like, that's all you got? 
You know, why don't you go get one of those baskets over there? One of those big old buckets. God is willing to give all the grace needed. All the grace. Where do you need grace? As much as you want. Girls, what are you entering in? Are you entering boldly? Do you have a thimble? Do you have a quarter cup, third a cup, two-thirds a cup, three-quarters of a cup, one cup? Do you have, a, do you have a, a gallon container? Do you have a hefty bag? You know, I, I feel like I just want to jump in the hefty bag. Here we are. <laughs> Fill her up. Fill her up. Fill her up with grace. God, now here's the great thing. And this is what I'm going to leave you with. Get this. God wants you in the throne room of grace more than you want to even go there. He wants you more than you want him. He wants you, and he wants to lavish his grace upon you. Paul talks about the lavish riches of God's grace that are ours in Christ Jesus. So many of us are living as paupers when the riches of grace are waiting for us in the throne room. So many of us are wearing costume jewelry, even though that's a really good deal, when the real stuff is waiting for us at the throne room of grace. God wants to give you so much grace. Let's pray. Lord, these are your girls. And I don't know what's kept them from that throne room. I don't know what voice said you're disqualified and they believed it. I don't know what voice said you can only expect a thimbleful. I don't know what, what sign they read that says knock before entering. I don't know what they believed about your throne room of grace that that steered them in the wrong direction, that turned them away, that made them afraid. But God, I pray that right now you would open wide the doors of grace to the throne room of grace and that these, your daughters, would run in there. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for trying to do things in our own strength, in our own ability, and thinking that's what you wanted of us that you wanted our goodness, that you wanted our tight messages, that you wanted our neatly packed bags and our fresh laundry and our clean houses and our coiffured hair, that you wanted this when what you wanted was us just simply in the throne room of grace, receiving grace and doing everything by your grace, through your grace, with your grace, for your grace. God, show us the grace way. Lord, help us to see the battle and to fight the good fight for grace, by grace, in grace, that we might receive all the provisions of grace that you have for us, Lord. If this culture, if this world needs anything right now, it needs to see your grace. And we're the only ones with it and that can model it and that can invite them to the throne room of grace. And unless we're filled with your grace, we will only lead them to Mount Sinai, to Moses, to a list of rules, 
to morality, to, to a yoke that we aren't even able to bear. Oh God, let us bring them into the throne room of grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.